We're glad to be sharing the ministry of Redemption Church with you. Now join us as we receive the Word of God. So glad everybody's here. Today's a special day, isn't it? It's the day we celebrate the Brooklyn Nets getting thrown out of the playoffs, right? Yeah! No, it's Father's Day. It's even better than that. As, as good as that is, Bradley, today's even better. It's Father's Day. Can we hear it for all the dads in the room? We salute all the fathers. We, we even salute some people in this house that you don't, you're not a biological father. But I guarantee you, you stand in the gap as someone's parental figure. And when they think of what a dad should be, they think of you. And so let's give them a hand too. That's powerful. The world is in need of dads all over the place, right? Welcome back to Redemption Church in Plano, Texas. My name is Chris Fluitt, and I'm super pumped. Everybody say super pumped to be sharing the word of God with you today. Greetings, as always, to all the beautiful people, the beautiful people in the room, and everybody also online. We're so glad that you are with us also. So good to connect, worshiping with to, worshiping God together, whether in the room or virtually. We love it both. I, I would love it for all our online attenders, though, uh, to do me a special favor right now. If you would leave me a comment and type me something like, preach boy, preach, preach boy, preach. How about that? Could you send me that? I'd like to, to do that. I I always worry about the people lurking, and it really encouraged me later. I'm like, oh, my goodness. They told me to preach, boy, preach. All right. So thank you for the encouragement. In advance, the name of our series is what? Lead like Jesus. We're in the fourth week of our series. And how many of you are leaders? Raise your hand if you're a leader. Raise your hand if you're a leader. All right. Everybody should raise their hand. Thank you so much for raising your hands. We believe leadership is influence, and that everyone has influence, and so that makes you a leader. Look at somebody, point them, say, you're a leader, you're a leader. We also believe that Jesus is the greatest leadership model of all time. If you want to be a good leader, you need to study Jesus Christ. We've studied the heart, the head, and the hands of his leadership. And if you missed any of the previous weeks, you can catch them all at redemptionplano.com. Just look for our sermons. You might do a little search there, lead like Jesus, and we'll bring it all up. I promise you that. I have a question today that could really take us down a delightful conspiracy theory rabbit hole. Anybody ever experienced conspiracy theory rabbit holes? You're just minding your own business, Lupita, on YouTube. And suddenly you're learning everything there is to know about 5G signals and how they are the cause of all the problems in the world. But I got a question for you. Here it is. Here it is. How did they build the pyramids? How did they build the pyramids? I'm telling you right now, don't do it. Online people do not go to YouTube right now and search. How did they build the pyramids? We will never get you back. You'll be there forever because there are endless like videos about that. The Pyramid of Giza weighs about 5.75 million tons. Nearly 6 million tons. That's heavy, y'all. It is made of roughly 2.3 million stone blocks. And do we think these are small little stone blocks, Malcolm? No, they're huge. The average block weighs over two tons. Over two tons. Now, one ton, I'm told, is 2,000 pounds. Is that correct, everybody? All right, so two tons is 4,000 pounds. That's heavy, y'all. Somebody say, that's heavy. So how did they move around all those heavy stone blocks? This is an often asked question question and Redemption Church is finally ready to take a position on this ancient conspiracy theory. All right, are you ready? Here it is. Aliens. Aliens. 
There it is. Aren't you glad you came to church today? (laughs) Now, I love this meme right here because this guy right here, it seems like this guy thinks aliens are the answer to all of life's questions. It's like, how how did somebody come up with peanut butter and jelly? How did they think to put those two things together? You can almost hear, hear them say, aliens, right? Hey, how do we do that? Everything is aliens to this guy. No, we could take that off the screen. No, Redemption Church is not espousing today that aliens built the pyramids. We'll do that later in a sermon series called Roswell. <laughs> I actually believe the answer to this question, how did they build the pyramids, is much more, Jesus, is that the answer, son? My son said, Jesus, all right, all right. Jesus is always the answer. Actually, I believe the answer is rather pedestrian, right? And I'm gonna, I believe that the pyramids were built using pulleys. Everyone say pulleys. You know what pulleys are, right? A pulley is a simple machine that takes advantage of physics to transmit energy and motion. By taking a rope and looping it over two wheels, it allows you to pull down and through the pulley, increase an upward force yes. by double. So it's, it's really interesting by pulling down, and it's always easier to pull down than to lift up because you can use your body weight to, to help pull down. It's always easier for me to pull down because I got the, the body weight to pull down, and it somehow, through the elfin magic of science, pulls up double the force. So how, how much force? Double the force. In other words, a 4,000 pound stone becomes 2,000 pounds with a pulley. Add another pulley, and now it is effectively 1,000 pounds. Add a third pulley to that two-ton stone, and it can be lifted with 500 pounds of Force. A few men together can manage 500 pounds of force. With a pulley, those men are able to bear a greater burden and lift a two-ton stone. Do you understand that? So there you have it. The aliens taught us about pulleys. I'm sorry to disappoint anyone, but uh, we are not actually preaching about aliens today. Not really. We really are not. Don't, don't get up and leave. Today, I want to talk to you about the habits of a leader. Everyone say the habits of a leader. There are many leadership books that teach you little tips, tricks, life hacks that uh, will help you be a better leader. One well-known book is called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. It's a great book. But today, instead of giving you tips to help you rise faster on your job, I want to give you pulleys. I want to talk about pulleys. I want to give you some habits that act as pulleys. These habits that we discuss today are tools to help you lift your burdens. Life has situations that are burdensome. Not only that, you're called to lead in those situations. Wouldn't it be good to have some tools to help you lift those burdens? The habits, the routine, how the leader goes about his day has everything to do with how long they will be the leader. Many leaders get burnt out. You ever see a leader get burnt out? Many leaders become discouraged. You ever see a leader become discouraged? And they lose sight of the why. They lose sight of their heart. Why, why they wanted to lead in the first place. And, and many leaders sabotage themselves through their actions, through their destructive habits. Seen some leaders personally in my own life have destructive habits. Jesus has leadership habits 
And as we study them, I would like you to evaluate your own habits. Are you with me today? Okay. Two habits we see, uh, the one habit we see absolutely in Jesus, it's very ap- applicable to our lives. This, this habit is humility. Everyone say humility. humility. Uh, we're going to spend some time talking about humility today. I struggled with whether humility is more of a value than a habit. You understand that? You get that? Humility is definitely value, and it's a value that Jesus lived out habitually. That value showed up in every habit of his. It directed his habits and his actions. Jesus was free from the burden of pride. Can I tell you pride is a burden? Scripture is truly clear about how destructive pride is. Proverbs 16 and 18 tells us that pride leads to destruction and a haughty spirit to a fall. That's what it tells us. Pride leads to destruction. And Jesus didn't sabotage his own life because he didn't have pride. He was free from that burden. Is there anything more annoying than a prideful leader? It's pretty annoying, y'all, right? I should get at least one amen on that. Is there anything more annoying than a prideful leader? Amen. Amen. All right. Is there anything more empowering and uplifting as a humble leader who gets down into the struggle with you and serves you? Now, that's empowering and that's uplifting. And when we serve under people that... Leaders like that who are humble and willing to serve us in that way. We will literally run through walls for those people. Isn't that true? Right. Everyone else, we're like, oh my goodness. If I wasn't being paid for this, I wouldn't. Oh, bless God. And that's like what you're saying in the car right outside the job as you're going in. Somebody tell me the truth, right? right. But this is exactly who Jesus was, the humble servant. Right. He made it his habit to choose Humility at all times. The humble habit of honoring people. Can you say those words? The humble habit of honoring people. Jesus had this habit of honoring people. In scripture, Jesus often honors others. Just off the top of my head, I thought he commends the faith of the centurion in Luke chapter 7. He even honors people that seem to be unexpected. This is a Roman citizen right here. There weren't too many Jews honoring a Roman citizen. But he honored this centurion's faith. He lifts up Simon. Simon, that fisherman that would cut off your ear and cuss at little girls. He did. (laughs) He did, yeah. Aren't you one of those that follow Jesus? Blank, no, he says. He cussed the little girls. Yep. (laughs) But he lifts up Simon and commends him for his revelation that Jesus is the son of God. The Messiah. Jesus says that the spirit of God revealed this truth to you. Jesus then changes Simon's name to Peter. And that's an honor we still hold Simon to today. In fact, I say Simon, you're like, which one is that? Which one? Peter, you're like, gotcha, gotcha. He became that stone, according to Jesus. Jesus honored the woman at the well. The woman that was caught in the act of adultery. He honored the Canaanite woman who refused to take no for an answer. When others showed only contempt, Jesus turned to the thief on the cross and humbly heard his request. On and on, we see Zacchaeus in the tree. We see lepers. We see those that are sick. We see the outcast. We see the tax collector. We see the Pharisee. And he honors them. He had the humble habit of honoring people. This humility habit is like a pulley 
that helps lift the burden of pride and self-importance in us. I want to tell you, if you got a pride problem, I got some really key things to do. Start praying for other people. Start serving other people. If you start feeling like you're self-important, you are headed to a destructive place. You're headed to a fall. So why don't you start calling other people and checking on them? Why don't you find a way to volunteer and use your time? Why don't you take that dollar out instead of spend it on you, spend it on the kingdom of God, spend it on someone that's hurting, spend it on someone else. And that, that sounds counterintuitive, right? Because that's counterintuitive to the entire approach of our world. But I'm telling you, that is a downward pull that exerts double force upward. John the Baptist said it this way. I must decrease so that he can increase. Do you see that? All right. I want to tell you, it is easy for leaders to fall into pride. Do you agree with that? Oh, it's real easy. Think about it. Leaders are usually confident, right? Leaders usually believe in their abilities and they believe in their ideas. You ever have a leader that the worst thing is when they had an idea? Nothing else existed. There was no need even talking because they had the idea and no other idea existed. And the only key to getting anything done was to come up with an idea and somehow make them think that they had the idea. Good job, boss. How do you come up with such great ideas? It's like, I don't know. That's pride, right? We see it. But that's leaders. They trust in their abilities. And their ideas often to a fault. Leader, if you fail to develop the habit of humility and honoring others, you will fall into the habit of pride. When you fall into the habit of pride, you will keep falling. What does the habit of humbly honoring others look like in your life? Here's a few examples. It might be you setting aside 10 minutes a week To write thank you notes honoring the work of others. It shouldn't take long for you to come up with somebody that has been very helpful. And make sure that they are thanked. It could be resisting the urge to take over every conversation with that random idea that lit up in your brain. Anybody ever experienced those? I, I, I do it all the time. It's, it's hard for me. This one's hard for me. But I've just got these random ideas. It's like ding, 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 ding. It's like a pinball up there. That's what it sounds like. Yeah, tilt. Thank you, Dad. <laughs> Instead of just jumping in with that idea that just flashed in your brain. Instead, wait carefully and listen to someone else. What a concept. It may be developing the habit of thanking people publicly, often, and doing it loudly. I'm telling you, that is an often overlooked leadership idea. It's one thing to write the note privately. It is such another thing to then publicly thank the person in front of their boss in front of their coworkers, in front of other You see how that's totally different weight? I'm telling you, and both of them are authentic. Both of them are humility at work. Instead of depending on your own strength and intelligence, you might try asking others because a humble person understands they are not the only capable ones. In fact, you, you talk to a lot of leaders, a lot of very successful leaders. They will tell you this. You never want to be the smartest person in the room. There's no need to be the smartest person in the room. You, anybody ever hear that? Yeah. That takes a lot of humility to say that. You need to have that kind of humility that honors others and gets, gets people in the room that are better than you at other things. And then, whoa, 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 because you aren't controlled by pride, you aren't defensive about it. You aren't trying to show them up. You're like, 
We get to work with this person. Look how awesome this person is. And you celebrate it. That's humility. Perhaps you develop the habit of simply saying those two hard words to say. Thank you. Now, some of you are like, that's not hard to say. It's hard for your boss to say, come on, somebody. Sometimes it feels like, can anybody say thank you anymore? Maybe you learn to say these words. The habits of a leader empower him or her to lift burdens they would not normally be able to lift. Without these habits, leaders are going to burn out. They're going to become discouraged. And then they will quit. The next habit is essential for leaders in our fast-paced world. Here it is. The humble habit of resting. We talked about honoring others. Now, this, this one's actually about honoring you. You should not dishonor yourself. Do you understand that? Humility is not a dishonoring of yourself. It takes humility to rest. You understand that? It takes humility to say, I need some time to recoup some energy. It takes humility to say, I can't do everything. That does take humility. Rest is a habit that many leaders never learn. We've talked about leadership. Leadership is influence. You understand the word influence? Here it is. Influence comes from a Latin word and it means to flow into. That's what the meaning, the, the original meaning of influence comes from in the Latin. To flow into. Leadership is flowing in to other people. Influence is flowing into others with your ideas, with your strengths, with your abilities, with your time, with your finances, with your listening ear. You're constantly flowing into other people. That is what influence is. I got news for you. If you aren't flowing into other people, you aren't a leader. You have no influence because influence means to flow into. Leadership influence is pouring yourself out into other people. It stands to reason that if you pour out from yourself, you will also need to pour into yourself. Do you follow that? Pretty simple, right? If I pour everything I've got in this glass, in order for me to pour out some more, I will have to refill the glass. Real deep, real profound. I want to tell you, that is a humble habit of resting. Rest is a recharging. Rest is a refilling. Jesus had a pulley habit of resting to allow himself to pour out once again. In Mark chapter 6, Jesus sent his apostles out to minister. In fact, that's what an apostle is. It is one who was sent. And so he sends his disciples He calls them apostles and he sends them out, sends them out to do what? To do work, to do ministry, to teach, to lay hands on the sick and perform miracles just like Jesus did. That's what he did. His apostles then returned and had so much to report to Jesus about what they had taught and what they had done. Mark 6 Verse 30, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming. Wait a second. So many people are coming? That's a good thing, right? Right? Isn't it a good thing? Man, whoa, that's some good leadership. Y'all just got done and more people are coming. This is an opportunity. Boys, we got to get you back out of there. Can you... Couldn't you see that happening in your, in your mind's eye, right? While the apostles were celebrating their success, another opportunity for success came right in front of them. A large number of people gathered around them. How do you think Jesus would respond, all right? How do you think he would respond to that? With people gathering, would Jesus send these apostles straight out to do more ministry? How did Jesus respond? It tells us, verse thirty. One and verse 32, then because so many people were coming and going, 
that they did not even have a chance to eat. Who is the they there? It's the apostles. The apostles had just come in from working in the field. And now the crowd was around them again so much that they didn't have a chance to eat. Reading on, Jesus said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. What's amazing, they took that entire crowd with them. No. Where'd the crowd go? They stayed there. And Jesus and his apostles went, see you later. With people standing by, ready to receive ministry, Jesus looked at the ministers that were tired and hungry apostles and said, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. I want to tell you, Jesus did not devalue ministry. It's why he came to earth. It's why he's still active today. To minister redemption and salvation and healing and victory. He's still doing all of that. But what Jesus does here does not devalue ministry. He valued ministry. And because he valued ministry, he valued rest. He knew that if they were going to pour themselves out, they would also need to have a refill so that they could then again pour themselves out. Rest does not devalue work. That is something somebody needs to figure out as a leader. Rest does not devalue work. Because you value your work, you must value rest. You must take time to rest. That is the humble habit of resting. Jesus had crowds, didn't he? Oh, some crazy crowds. Our society believes crowds are a gauge of success. But Jesus rested from the crowd. Do you know that there is no rest in a crowd? It is constant. You, when you, you could just be among a lot of people, and when you get out of that room, feel like, oh my gosh, I've got to rest. Because being around a lot of people is not restful. Especially when you, you are serving those people. Ministering to those people. Listening to those people. Loving those people. There is no rest in the crowd. I want to tell you, Jesus left the crowd of perhaps 10,000 people. And withdrew to a group of 12 in your Bible. The feeding of the 5,000, that 5,000 is only the number of men counted. So double that number, maybe triple that number, and you might have the number of people actually there. There was at least 10,000 people there. Jesus withdrew from that. He said, let's get in a boat. We're getting out of here. And he goes with his 12. He went from 10,000 to 12. There's some people would say, oh, that's a bad move, Jesus. That's a bad. You at least need to get on Insta and share some posts. You know, keep, keep your, your followers at a frenzy. You know, let them know what the latest is going on. No, he, they didn't have social media. But I'm telling you, he would have shut that off too. See, that's one of the dangers in our world today. Because even when you aren't at work, you can work. As a pastor, even when I'm not in this room... I can work. I can work myself down. Even when I've got my sermon done, I can work. There's all, all these things out here, and all the social media, all the, all the websites, and all the other ministry endeavors we can do. The work could be 24 hours a day. It absolutely could. But Jesus shows us that there's a time you need to withdraw. And that's not a victory. That's not a loss. It's actually a victory. It was here with the 12 away from the 10,000. It was here in his small group of disciples 
that he explained the mysteries of his kingdom parables. He didn't do it with the huge crowd. The only reason we even know what the seed is about is because he went and hung out with John. He hung out with Peter. He hung out with Matthew. The withdrawal from the crowd was not a defeat. It was rest. It was recharge, not only for Jesus, but for his disciples. Twelve people. That sounds a little bit like what we call a small group, doesn't it? Can I brag on small groups for a moment? Oh, my goodness. You need to be in a small group. You need to find a way to go into a restful environment with other people and share Jesus together. Can I tell you, I'm a pastor. But I'm a member of a small group. I'm not the pastor of that small group. I'm one of you. And when you are in that small group, your stories minister to me. And it's so good to be in an environment where I don't feel like I have to perform. There's so much difficulty that comes on. Man, I got to rest after Sunday night. I'm telling you. Because it feels like, oh, I've got to get everything right. And I got to... Oh, that was a little pitchy. We got to get everything going. We're, you know, we got to got to deliver this next point and all this work, work, work. Can I tell? None of that's at a small group. I love it. I love it. It's one of my favorite things. If I was not, I'm telling you right now. If I was not a pastor of a church, I would be in a small group. Still, small groups are wonderful. If you are not in a small group, you're missing out. Four people were excited about that. That's good. We got a small group right there, four of us. I want to tell you, he goes from the crowd, he goes to a small group, but there are times where Jesus rested from the 12. And he goes down from 12 to 3. Peter, James, and John. There's several places in Scripture. He leaves behind the 12, and he goes with 3. He climbed the Mount of Transfiguration, not with 12, but with 3. And there... An amazing thing happened. One thing is they saw Moses. I'm like, wasn't he dead? There he is. Elijah, they saw Elijah. Wasn't he taken up in a, in a chariot of fire? Yeah, he was, but there he is. And as amazing as that was, that's nothing compared to what the next thing that happened. They saw Jesus Christ clothed with the complete glory of God right in front of them. Who saw that? Was it the crowd? Was it the twelve? It was the three. I want to tell you, you need to have the mission field crowd and you need to have the community 12, but you also need to have the intimacy of the three. You need to have places where you can go where it is intimate. I'm telling you how intimate where you can be the foolish person you are, (laughs) where you can be your no filter self. Where you can be the real version of you, not the cleaned up version of you. Where you can be the person that breaks down and cries because you don't know what to do. Where you can be the person that doesn't have all the answers and all the scriptural questions. Everywhere else, you you feel like you have to have all the scriptural ducks in a row. But you need an intimate place where you can go, I don't even know if God's anywhere in this situation. I'm worried. And people go, I know exactly how you feel. I know I'm not judging you. What is that? That's the intimacy of the three. I thank God for the crowd. I thank God for the community. But I thank God for intimacy. I want to tell you, I thank God for people I can call up on the phone and I can tell them anything. And have an intimate conversation with them. Not once do they go, man, are you okay? I'm worried about your faith. They go, No, man, I'm going to pray for you right now. They'll just break out praying for me right then and there. And let me tell you, I love it. I love it. Thank you, God, for for people we can go deep with and rest with. You need to have people who are not work, but rest. But rest. Now, let me, you can't have that all the time. There's sometimes you need to, you need to be around people that are work. Discipling others is work. You need that. But you need some time where you're around people and it's just rest. Everybody, can you do that? You need that kind of person where you can just breathe a sigh of relief and rest. Jesus also rested 
from the three. We've gone from a crowd. We've gone to 12. We've gone to three. But he rested from the three and he went to a place where he rested with an audience of one. Jesus withdraw to a place where he could receive rest straight from God. There are places he went where he was all alone praying with God. And as he was praying to God, the angels came and ministered to him. Now you, what is he doing in those places? He's praying. He is seeking God's face. And he is a one-on-one with God, his father. You talk about a pulley that will lighten your load. I'm talking about a pulley of prayer. Leader, do you have a habit of prayer? Oh, you don't understand, pastor. You know, I don't work in a religious environment. But you work in an environment, right? I mean, like, you don't have to work in a church to pray. No, no, leader, you need a habit of prayer. I don't care where you're working. I don't care. Leader, do you, do you have a habit of seeking God's presence? Are you saying that you can seek God's presence at work? Yeah, kind of like all the time. Because God's presence is everywhere. It's everywhere. His presence is everywhere. So seek it. Seek it. A leader who seeks an audience of one with God. That leader is a blessing to any organization. I'm telling you, give you a new vision of your, your leadership. What if you, as a child of God, who walks, the, you know, the armor of God, it talks about shoes of peace. That everywhere you walk are shoes of the gospel of peace. So I want to give you this picture that when you walk into that job that everybody hates and everybody's like at each other's throats, that you're coming up from your car, you're walking in and everybody hates. Susie doesn't get along with Thelma. They just are right next to each other in the cubicle and everybody's going crazy. But you walk in that door and you get to that threshold. And when you walk in that room, the peace of God just showed up. The peace of God, because you carry it with you. You need to be that kind of leader that you are carrying God's presence with you, carrying God's love with you, carrying God's patience with you. Man, that's some leadership, y'all. That's some leadership that Christians need to have. Being a Christian is much more than having a t-shirt that says you're a Christian and a bumper sticker that says you're a Christian and a music selection on your phone that says you're a Christian. No, being a Christian is having all the fruit of the Spirit showing in your life, showing up in your workplace, in your home, even on I-75 when you're driving. It can happen. I'm telling you, a leader who has a one-on-one encounter with God is a blessing to any organization. And I've seen as people, as people actually put their work behind them in second place to make God number one, I've seen those people climb the ladder on their job. Who's seen it? Because being that person of God is a blessing to their job. Sometimes the boss doesn't even understand it. What does this humble habit of rest look like in your life? You take some deliberate time to not pour out effort, but to soak in rest, to soak in enrichment. All right. This is where you would read a book. You would learn something that you would enrich your mind. All right. Put your smartphone and laptop down and glow Clear your mind and improve your body with a walk in nature. And be like, God, this nature is sure beautiful. Man, I'm glad I'm not thinking about the horrors of the world around me. But thinking about that, that the heavens are the handiwork of God. Have a vacation and not a work vacation. Have an inner circle that is not work but rest. Here's one I wish I had more time to talk about. But rest 
from criticism. There's some criticism that you don't even need to respond to. We have a YouTube page for the church. And I, I don't know if you've ever experienced YouTube comments. It's where feelings go to die. It's awful. They say, they say terrible things about you on, on the YouTube. By the way, y'all could leave a nice comment every once in a while. People. <laughs> but do you think I need to respond to every hateful comment out there? Guess what? Neither do you. You need to learn to rest from criticism. Jesus was criticized all the time. And guess what? He didn't respond to all of them. And certainly he didn't waste his time going round and round with the Pharisees. He would be like, checkmate, boom, drop the mic and walk off. He, would, he told his disciples to dust the feet, the dust the, the sand off their sandals and walk on. You need to learn to do the same. Recharge in God. That's a way to rest, to pray, to worship, to seek, to be filled with his spirit. I pray one thing about this church is that everybody that comes feels better after they've been here. There is something wrong if you come to God's house and you feel worse leaving than when you came. Okay? I pray that you, because this ought to be a recharging place. This ought to be a filler up station right here as we're worshiping, as we're receiving the word of God. As we're talking to God. We're talking about the habits of a leader. Leaders are under such great pressure. And the higher the seat on the organizational chart, the more pressure there usually is. Jesus shows us that humility is an invaluable pulley that eases the pressure of power, it eases the pressure of responsibility. Jesus used the pulley of humility to always look up above on the org chart. Humility looks up the org chart. Everybody say org chart. Everybody knows what a flow chart is. It shows where where the bosses are. There are these organizational flow charts. They, They show who the most powerful people are in any organization, who has the most authority, who is over what section of the organization over the job. What usually happens is that everyone down the chart usually looks up the chart and they say, if I were the head of this department, I would immediately do this. If, if only I were the manager, you know, the first thing I would do is this. Or maybe when no one's around, what a dummy my boss is. If I would be so much better if I were in that position. If I were just up on that flow chart, my goodness, they're wasting all this skill down here in the mail room. If they just put me up in the penthouse. But there is a difference between daydreaming about being the boss and actually being the boss, right? Anyone can make uh, bets using house money, right? Oh, can I borrow some money? Oh, yeah, yeah. And make a bet with it. That's house money. But when you are using your own money to make a bet, it gets real, really quick, right? When it's your own money, it becomes an entirely different situation. One of the burdens of leadership is authority. Authority is actually a burden. You, you have seen a little bit of power actually ruin people. That's because pride plus power equals poison. Pride plus power equals poison. And you have seen some bosses become tyrants because of the mixture of a little bit of pride and a little bit of power. Then there is the burden of being the one who has to make the decision, having to hire or fire, to close an office or to open an office. To spend resources or to save resources for later. This is, these are big decisions. And it's one thing to daydream about making these decisions. It's another thing entirely to actually sit in that chair and be the one that pulls the trigger. Most people daydream about sitting in that top spot. But once they are actually in that spot, 
they may find it not a daydream, but a nightmare. The higher the seat on the chart, the more pressure there is. It's because power can be a burden. In January 1981, Ronald Reagan was the incoming president. Michael Deaver served as the deputy chief of staff. And on the morning of the president's inauguration, Michael Deaver grew concerned. It appeared that his boss, the elect president of the United States, the future leader of the free world, had overslept. And so Deaver gently knocked on Ronald Reagan's bedroom door and he cracked open the door to say, Sir, it is 8.30 in the morning and in about two hours, you're going to be sworn in as the president of the United States. Now, according to Michael Deaver, he saw Ronald Reagan peek out from under the covers and say in a groggy morning voice, he said, do I have to? I want to tell you, no matter who you are, if you are the CEO, the government, the the governor, the prime minister or president, the owner and founder, the leader, pastor, the, the general, the number one, the grand poobah, the kingpin, the el jefe, the big boss man or boss lady, the top dog, the big dog, the big wig, the head on show, the higher up, the powers that be, the shot caller, the fearless leader, the Sith Lord. If you are the big cheese or the big kahuna, it does not matter who you are, no matter how high you go on the organizational chart. There is still someone above you when it comes to power and authority. Jesus, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the Almighty. He demonstrates the habit of looking up. This King of Kings looks up the organizational chart. John 6, 38 says this, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. What is that? That is the king of kings looking up the organizational chart. When you read the gospels, you see the man Christ Jesus looking up in prayer and asking that God's will would be done. A great habit to help ease the troubles of leadership is the humility To look up and confess, I'm not the one in charge. God, your will be done. The reason humility is able to look up the organizational chart is because only through humility will you admit that there is actually someone above you. And this is great news. It's great news to the CEO who is facing a tough decision. And everybody's looking at you. They're looking up to you. CEO, you look up also. Because there's a God above you. Look up and ask God for wisdom. He will give it to you liberally. To the President of the United States. To every president, we should pray this, that you are the leader of the free world and you bear a heavy responsibility. Please look up because God has got the whole world in his hands. To the lead pastor who's worried that he doesn't have what it takes to lead that church. Look up. You are the pastor, but make no mistake, the church belongs to the guy above you on the organizational chart. He's the one who has built this church. Oh, we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. To the mom and dad who feels completely inadequate as a parent and as a spouse. Look up because you're not actually the head of this household. There is one above you. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Look up to God. He'll guide you. To you who are struggling in whatever position that you are in. I ask you to look up. Look up and ask. He said, if you ask, he'll give. Look up and seek. He said, if you seek, you'll find. Look up and knock. 
He said, if you knock, the door will be open up to you. Look up to God above you and pray and pray. If you're carrying a burden today, I want you to grab a hold of a pulley of humility and confess, I am not enough to handle this. And begin to pray. Begin to seek God's wisdom. Begin to talk to the Lord. I want to tell you that that habit will cut the burden in half. At least. Does anyone feel the need to pray today? Does anyone feel the drawing towards an audience of one? There was a a time in my life where I was working uh, in this very church. Was not the pastor of it. I was working as a worship leader in it. And I remember I was feeling such a pressure. There was a, a weird dynamic. I was trying some new things. I was really depending on some other people. I was trying to step up uh, from doing everything to leading people and in, in investing in people. And I want to tell you, it didn't just automatically turn out like I wanted it to. It was a little rough. It was a little, was a little disappointing. And I remember I walked out of that church on a, on a Wednesday evening and I was trying to not cry because I was, I was mere moments away from ugly cry. <laughs> I, was, I was feeling it coming on. Like, I, was, I was feeling it coming on. I, I, I just felt so inadequate. I felt like I couldn't do it. I felt like, my goodness, what am I doing? I, I'm, I'm, I'm such the biggest loser. I remember that, that pastor came out. His name was Kevin. He looked me in the eyes and he said, are you okay? I said, I'm not really okay. He says, do you need to take Sunday off? I said, I can't take Sunday off. Sunday is too important. He says, Sunday's important. But you know what's really important also? It's every Sunday after this Sunday. And if I have to give up this Sunday for you to be doing ministry unto the Lord for every Sunday past this it's an easy choice I'll never forget that thank you Kevin for that I was there that Sunday but I felt so relieved I felt like it wasn't, it wasn't on me I felt like maybe I thought I shouldn't ever have any problems and everything should be brilliant because I am just so and I went from that to just pulling down on a pulley of prayer pulling down on, on a pulley of I'm going to depend on other people even if they do it differently than me and I tell you I haven't looked back past, back since that has been in such a life change for me are you ready to have the same thing happen in your life today it can happen these altars are open right now for more information about redemption look us up online at redemption-church.com we want to hear from you So be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or even our anonymous question text line at 214-856-0550. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.